0: Our look at the book of Acts, and so we've been doing that over the last several weeks. We'll do it for uh, several more weeks uh, leading up until, uh, until Advent. Uh, and so today we are looking at Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. And so I invite you to hear these words from Luke. Luke writes, Now during those days when the disciples were increasing in number... The Hellenists complained against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. And the twelve called together the whole community of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should neglect the word of God in order to wait on tables. Therefore, friends, select from among yourselves seven men of good standing, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may appoint to this task, while we, for our part, will devote ourselves to prayer and to serving the Word. And what they said pleased the whole community, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, together with Philip. Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenus, and Nicolas, a proselyte of Antioch. And they had these men stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to spread. The number of the disciples increased greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord thanks be to God, and let us pray. God, we come to you this morning with the grayness outside and the knowledge that the temperatures are about to grow cooler and the season of autumn coming in more full thrust. And we thank you, Lord, that you are In the midst of those things that are green and growing, just as you are in the midst, Lord, of those things that seem to be gray and dying. We are reminded, God, that it is oftentimes in the death where new life can be born. And so we pray this morning, God, that you would be with us, that you would open up our eyes and our ears and our hearts to the places in which you are bringing new life. I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. So, when I was growing up, I was uh, pretty restricted to the television shows that I could watch uh, by my parents and so you know nothing that was too violent, nothing that was uh, too risque and so I was had a very kind of select uh, few shows that I could really watch and Which is why it's somewhat surprising to me then, as I reflect back on it, that my parents let me watch what would become one of my favorite uh, uh, shows as a child. Now, you remember this was the 80s, and so uh, I'm not going to tell you what it is. I'm just going to give you the theme music to see how many of you can get it, okay? All right, you ready? Are you ready? Okay, this is big time. All right, here we go. Dun-dun-dun-dun, dun-dun-dun. The A-Team it is. Nicely done, Mr. Neiman. You win nothing but applause um, from me. And so the A-Team, right? Everyone remember the A-Team? There you go. The people my age are like, yes, everyone else is like lame, right? But the A-Team was phenomenal. I mean, for a little boy or a young boy... um, the A-team had it all, right? I mean, it had had a great list of characters, right? You had Face, who was the handsome guy, right? You had the the slightly insane guy named Murdoch. You had the, uh, the, the boss man, Hannibal, right? Always had that cigar in his mouth. And then, of course, that's right. Now, Mr. T is not the actual name of the person. It's B.A. Barracus that's exactly right right and played of course by everyone's favorite jewelry clad Mr T i mean it was awesome. I mean, this show had, you know, it had a a cool van. There was no minivan here. This was a legit van that could do lots of cool things, and there were explosions, and there was always adventure and fear. I mean, it was fantastic, right? This was an excellent, excellent show in my mind, and so I always uh, waited with eager anticipation whenever it would come out, right? Every week, I was always very, very excited. So about two decades or more, perhaps even later, uh, after it had made its initial run, uh, I started seeing some reruns for it, and I hadn't watched them. And so I decided, you know what, I'm going to go back and I'm going to look at some of these reruns and and just remember how great of a show it is. And so I did. And there was something very peculiar. Well, there was a lot of very peculiar things that you notice as an adult that you don't notice as a kid. But one of the most peculiar was this. That no matter how many explosions there were, no matter how many accidents there were, no matter how much violence there was, that no one in the A-team, no one ever, not just the A-team, no one in the show at all, no one ever died. In fact, not only did they never die, they hardly were ever even that injured, right? So you would see, you know, guys jumping out of a vehicle going 80 miles an hour, you know, and then they'd pan back and they're just kind of, you know, they're they're limping maybe a little bit, but hardly at all, right? I mean, these massive explosions and people, they just, you know, they seem to know how to stop, drop, and roll just so, and so everything is, perfect, right? It's very strange. And as I as I watched it, I realized, well, this is almost like a fairy tale. I mean, it's not really, it's not very realistic, really, you know? I mean, there's just, there's nothing really negative that's happening. And so it just felt there was just something that was kind of missing. Because truth be told, if there aren't real consequences for things, or if everything is always just kind of honky-dory and is wonderful, then all of a sudden it becomes a bit less Real. It grips you. It grips you much less so than one other than it otherwise would. And I, I was thinking about that because as I talked a little bit about last week, in many ways, uh, the first four chapters of Acts can almost see. Seem A-Team ish like. Everything is just wonderful and perfect, right? People are speaking different languages. That's great. You know, thousands of people are becoming followers of Jesus. The the, the, the the lame are beginning to walk, and everybody's selling things, and there's everyone has need, and it's all just kind of almost too perfect. And you begin to wonder well, is this even true? But then, of course, if you were here last week, you recall there was Ananias and Right? And that all of a sudden got real fast, right? And so then it's like, oh, okay, well, maybe everything isn't so rosy. And then, of course, this week, again, we have a bit of controversy. There's a bit of complaining, a bit of conflict, if you will, and what's going on. On. And, and, and for me, at least, I applaud it because it feels a bit more legitimate all of a sudden. And, and so all of a sudden then you have, uh, you, you've got this controversy, you have this conflict, you have these complainers, and it's easy in one sense, of course, to begin to think, uh-oh, well, this is not good. This is where things, the wheels are going to come off. This is This is not good. And oftentimes, whenever there is conflict or complaint or disagreement, it's easy, I think, for us to begin to think well this is not good. But the reality of course is that what you see happening is that the church is actually beginning to grow and whenever something begins to grow there is always there are always going to be issues, right? I mean think about it when you're a child, right? And you begin to grow. When you go from the from the baby to the toddler stage or the toddler stage to whatever that Kids stages, or the the kids stage to the adolescent stage, and the adolescent stage to to kind of young adult, and then young adult to kind of um, um, I don't know old, right? And, and so and so you've got all of this, right? And almost always, right, either physically or or, or or literally or figuratively, there are growing pains, right? That's always just a part of it as the skeleton begins to develop, right? And even though you have this beautiful vision, right? All of a sudden you have to begin to put some kind of organization behind it, which always is a bit costly. But it doesn't mean that just because you have that pain or that disagreement that things aren't good or that things aren't healthy. Right It reminds me a little bit of premarital counseling premarital counseling that I do when you know i always i'll have the the couple they'll do this kind of inventory right online separated from one another I've talked about this a little bit before and and, and so then I get the results back of the profile right and uh, usually, one of the areas that they flag because of how it's been answered by the bride and the groom is 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 marriage expectations and and typically it's because uh, the, the, the bride and groom, they've answered it in such a way that it seems that everything, as they look forward to what their future is going to be like, everything's just going to get better and better. It's just going to be amazing. They're hardly ever going to have any arguments. They're just going to look at each other and fall more in love with each other every single day. The children, they will only add to the love. that everything is just going to be picture perfect and ideal, right? That they'll be running hand in hand amongst the flowers and everything will be great, right? And and I you know, look, let's be honest, right? I mean, there's that's better, right? Than if they predict that everything's just going to be a nightmare, right? And as soon as we get married, this is going to be brutal, right? You don't want that either, to be sure. But the problem is is when you are too naive going into something, into some kind of new commitment, if you will, that then whenever Trouble comes whenever there's disagreement or conflict or complaining, which will always happen in marriage, right? Better answer that right, or you're in trouble, right? Whenever, or you're just not talking. Uh, So, whenever that happens, right, then all of a sudden you're like, well, this is not right. This is not good. Um, You know, this is not the way it's supposed to be. Everything was supposed to be perfect. We're just supposed to fall in love with each other more and more and get along more and more, and everything's supposed to be great. And all of a sudden, then, if you begin to think that that's the way it's supposed to be, and it's not, then you begin to wonder, well, maybe this isn't the right marriage, and maybe we shouldn't do this. And one of them wants to bail more easily, right? Well, the same thing happens in the church, I think, as well, is is that you think, well, no, the church is supposed to be perfect. It's supposed to be like Acts 1 through 4. It's supposed to be amazing and wonderful. And whenever there's disagreement or conflict or anything like that, they think, well, we've lost it. That's not good. You know, where actually it might very well be a sign of health that you're growing and that as a part of that, you're going to have some struggles, right? And so, first of all, I want us to know that when we see this in Acts and we see, oh, well, you got some disagreement here, that that's actually a good thing. Now, another thing that helps us to see that this is a healthy event is the the, the topic that they are discussing. You see, the the, the difference between there being a healthy conflict or healthy complaints and unhealthy oftentimes is around what it is that people are arguing or complaining about, right? So if I were to do a family feud, I thought about this, if I were to survey 100 people about their church, let's say even about ZPC, it doesn't matter. Let's just say, actually, let's just say church in general. You You know, what are the things that you most or that you least like about your church? What's your greatest complaint, you know? And then, you know, I mean, survey says, and what would come up? do you think, you know, uh, well, we don't really like, the, you know, the music, or the, the sermon seems to be too long, or there are too many hypocrites, right, or the sermon is, is too long, or we don't like the carpet, or, or the sermon is too long, whatever it is, right, I mean, there would be lots of different things, right, and those things, they're fine to talk about those things, I mean, unless the sermon being too long is clearly never a complaint, nor should it be, and so, you know, but whatever it might be, right, that, that, that's fine, But you want to make sure that what you're actually disagreeing about are things that are really core to who the church is and to its witness. Right? And what are they complaining about in Acts 6? They're complaining because there are widows, Greek widows it seems in particular, who are not being fed, who are not being taken care of. And that is a good complaint. That is good conflict. Why? Because that's what the church, that's a part of the church's call, right? What does James say? James says that you need to take pure religion is that which takes care of orphans and widows. That's exactly right. This is a core of what it means to be a witness of Jesus Christ is to make sure that we are living in community and caring for those that are in need. And so this is good, right? One of the first things is that this is good. It's good that they're wanting to talk about something like something that is critical and important. Now... Just because it's an important issue and is core and should be talked about, that does not, of course, mean that the church or families or whomever always do it well, always go about that in a healthy way. Which is why it's interesting, one of the first things that the disciples, that the apostles do, as soon as the complaint has come in, what do they do? They gather all of the followers, right? Now, by this time, there are thousands of followers, so they're probably not, like, meeting, you know, in in, in some kind of massive stadium. It's probably more kind of a representation of everyone. But they call the community together in order to engage in direct and open and transparent communication. Can you imagine? What a novel idea that when you disagree... That you decide to engage it face-to-face with others. If you were to ask me what's one of the reasons why we struggle so much with disagreement or conflict in our society as a whole and in the church, it is because far too often we try to deal with it through indirect communication of one form or another right? I have a, uh, I have a mentor who always, who always told me to, you should always raise the level of communication with those who are complaining or criticizing you, right? So that, in other words, if you get an email from somebody, then you should call that person. Don't email them back. Call them, right? And if you, if you get a phone call from somebody, then you set up a time for you to meet them face to face. We should always be raising the level of direct communication because everyone here knows I have a feeling that indirect communication can almost always leads to more dramatic misunderstandings, and it always escalates situations. Right? I had a person in a previous congregation who she would love from time to time to send me these emails full of vitriol, if you will. Right? And she'd send it off, and she'd hit enter, and I'd read it, you know, and I'd be like, "Oh my goodness, this is horrible." I mean, I, I'm horrible, and you know, and I would be, I'd be thinking about it, and so then I would call her. Right? I'd raise it one level, and I. I'd call her and I'd be like, hey, you know, what is this? And she'd say, Oh, well, it wasn't really that big of a deal, you know. And I'd be like, Are you kidding me? I couldn't sleep last night, right? And 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 so when you called me an idiot, that wasn't that big of a deal, right? And and, oh well, you know, you're no, you misread it. No, you can't misread that, right? And of course, I'm not perfect either. Right? I mean, there have certainly been blogs or Facebook comments from time to time where I typed out something and sent it and felt really good about myself, but they were things that I would never have said if I were face-to-face with someone. Right? I know this seems strange. I know it seems strange, but here's the reality. Every thought that goes on in your head does not necessarily need to come out of your mouth or out of your fingers. And if you would not say it to them face to face, then do not say it at all. Because whenever we do those kinds of things, all we do is we escalate the issue every single time. And so what do the disciples do? They bring everyone together, right? I mean, even the complainers, to their credit, they go right to them and say, this is happening, right? They're not going behind their back and saying, oh, these apostles, they don't care about the Greek widows. No, no, no. They go right up to them and they say, let's talk about this. So they talk to them face to face. But now here's another interesting thing is what they say. Do you notice what they say? Let's look at exactly what what it is that they say to these complainers, to the people who are upset. The apostles say, it's not right that we should neglect the word of God in order to wait on tables. Therefore, friends, select from among yourselves seven men of good standing, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may appoint to this task, while we, for our part, will devote ourselves to prayer and to serving the word. Now, on the one hand, that could seem a bit pretentious, right? That the disciples, that the apostles think they're too good, you know? They're too good to kind of, to wait on tables. They're too good to actually serve the widows. And I, I get that, you know, that perhaps that could certainly be how it's understood. But I actually think that what the disciples are doing is something that is remarkably genius here. The disciples, what they're doing, of course, are a couple of things. First of all, they're saying, look, we cannot do everything, Right? And if you want to stir up and make a controversy even worse, then have the leaders feel like they are burned out, right? That will inevitably lead to things being said that shouldn't be said and to kind of ill will, right? And so they know they have to stay in their lane, that they can't take care of everything. But the other thing it does is they give the people who were complaining, and complaining is usually pejorative. I don't mean it pejorative, but the people who are coming forward, they give them a gift. And what's the gift that they give them? The disciples say, you get to take care of this, right? If you are seeing the situation and we think you are, guess what? We believe that you are a part of the solution. Right? And that is a gift because otherwise, if the disciples were to just say, "Well, well, you know what? We'll just take care of this. Don't you even worry about it. We got this. We'll do this." Then all that happens is nothing happens. Hey, either the disciples do everything, or it doesn't really work. But more, but even more than that, the people who were complaining, you know, they just become, they continue to become consumers, and all they'll do is guess what? They'll find something else to complain about, right? And and they don't ever get the experience of seeing. Lives change because they are doing the work. It's much of what I said last week when we talked about the fact that how important it is that when people, you know, sometimes it's easy to say, well, you know what, this church needs to be a better witness. How come, how come we're not doing a better job at that? Or, or, or this church needs to grow uh, in a greater way. What, you know, that that more often than not, it seems to me that those kind of complaints, the answers hardly ever have to do with anything that the complainers could do. Right? It's always about, well, you know what, we need Sunday morning to be better. That's really the problem. Where, what, what would happen if we said all of us? Because Jesus said, what did Jesus say? Let me remind you from the very beginning that you, that we are to be the witnesses, right? Not the pastor, not the, the music person, not the teacher, but that all of us, right? Right? And so when the disciples, they remember this, because they remember probably how scared they were, when they hear this complaint, what do they say? They say, okay, great. You are to be the witnesses of Jesus, so you figure this out. You found the problem. That's wonderful. Now you come up with a good solution, and it is a gift. And the more that each of us understands our own call as witnesses to Jesus Christ, the stronger we will be. But here's the other genius part of what the disciples said. It is a great indicator, a great measuring tool as to whether or not the complainers were really just complaining to complain or whether or not they genuinely wanted things to change. All of us know And many of us, if we look in the mirror, myself included, know people who like to complain just to complain. It is a fun exercise. It always makes you feel a little bit better when you can see what someone else or what some other group of people are doing wrong, right? You, you you feel a little bit smarter, right? And it makes you feel like you've done something, right? Hey, I've found your flaw. Here's the reality. You can find the flaw in someone else in five minutes, and you can find a flaw in a church in five seconds if you wanted to. It is really easy to find things that you don't like about a church or about a person? The real question, of course, and this is what the disciples were wondering here, I have a feeling, is, okay, if this is important enough to you, then we'll see whether or not you're actually willing to do something, right? And to the complainer's credit, what did they do? They said, okay, we'll do it. And they found seven people, right? They didn't come back and say, well, I mean, it's not that big of a deal, I guess. They don't really need to eat, right? They didn't say, oh, well, you know, you guys are the leaders. Why would we do this? No, no, no. They say, okay, great. Let's take care of this. Right? And so this is this beautiful scene, right? Where where they come in and they say, "Okay, we found them." And did you notice that they're all Greek speaking? You know, they all have this kind of Greek names all but one of them, right? And so they find people amongst themselves who are willing to go ahead and take care of it. And that is a beautiful thing and what it reminds us of it's something that happened last week. This is the problem with splitting up passages. But if you think sermons go long normally, think about if I had to preach from all of Acts. Just reading it would take at least three hours, I would think, or two hours. I don't know. We could, we could try sometime if you wanted to. But what did it say last week? It said that they were all of one heart and That's what I thought it was, too. But it's soul, right? It's it's soul, right? But it's all the same thing, which means this, that they were thinking about one another, that they were in community together, right? And that is also a massive difference in how we deal with disagreement and with conflict, is whether or not it feels like we are all in this together, whether or not we are on the same team. Yeah, I've shared before that when Megan and I, my wife and I, um, whenever we have disagreements, how typically her role at some point in the midst of that disagreement is to remind me that we are on the same team right because what happens so frequently in the midst of arguments from my perspective is that we could be sitting there and we can be holding hands and we could be walking together you know in those aforementioned fields where everything is great and then as soon as there's a disagreement or conflict right i want to let go of her hand and i want to square off right and this is mano e mano mano e whatever that is, right? And we are going to have at it, right? And I just want to win this thing, right? And, and all of a sudden, I forget that we used to be walking alongside one another, right? And when she reminds me of that, and when I have the ears to hear, then we begin holding hands again now. To be sure, that doesn't mean we don't have disagreements. We don't just kind of brush that off then. No, 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 no. We still have to deal with the disagreement. We still have to go through that conflict, right? We still have to do that. But everything changes. You know this if you've done this. The tone, the temperament, everything. Rather than just being me against you, this is us together, and let's figure out how we can do this, how we can wrestle through this together. And that, it seems to me, is what this early church was experiencing, right? That they had this conflict, but they knew that they were all there together. That the church, those people who were complaining, it wasn't about them specifically. It was about others that they were concerned about. And they decided together, let's move forward together. And because of that, they were able to come up with, you know, this happened really fast. It doesn't always happen that quickly. But they were able to move forward in a better way together because they realized they were on the same team, right? And the more often, rather than thinking, well, this person, this Christian must be against me, the more often we can trust and hope that the other person is also wanting to spread the gospel and be a good witness, the more different our disagreements will end up being. And I think that's critical, especially in this day and age. Sharon Pierce did a great job of prayer, and she she brought up something that I think is so critical for us to see, that if a part of our role here is to be a witness to Jesus in our world, then that means that we must respond to things differently. And in our world right now, our society, our country, where it seems that's being kind. Where it is that when you have a disagreement, what you tend to do is either separate, actually you tend to do all these things. You both separate yourself from those with whom you disagree. You begin to shout louder, right? You begin to act meaner, and you begin to get angrier. Then think about the example that a church can continue to be to that watching world when they disagree. To be able to then do so in a way that glorifies Jesus, that does not divide the church, but actually, even though through pain, can make it stronger. What kind of witness might that be? As we here at ZPC, as we continue to grow, there are going to be hiccups. I can't predict to you what they're going to be, but there will always be hiccups. If you're growing, there are always going to be struggles. There's always going to be things that we wrestle with. My hope, first and foremost, is that whatever it is that we're wrestling with is actually important, right? That this is not just your own preference, right? That we're not fighting over the color of the carpet or whatnot, right? I mean, that's fine, I suppose, but it's not that interesting, really, right? And not that important to the witness, right? That there's that th- that something important, but that we do so, and when we do so, we do it directly. We do it face-to-face. We talk face-to-face with one another, right? And we do so in such a way that it's very clear that we are on the same team, that we are all trying to grow closer and closer to Jesus, the more it seems to me that we are able to do that, to learn that and to be able to grow into that, the more the mission of Jesus Christ is going to be able to move forward. So my hope and my prayer, sisters and brothers in Christ, is that whatever situation it is, maybe for you, maybe it's your own personal situation, maybe it's a family member or a spouse or a parent or a child, whatever it may be, my hope and my prayer is that as we look at these people in Acts 2, as we or Acts, 2, in Acts 6, as we look at this early church, that it might be a way for us to see what it means to be shaped more like Christ in the midst of disagreement. And in a world where it seems to be unable to know how to disagree well, may we be an example of what it means to grow more like Christ, even in the midst of of our own conflict or our own struggles. For the glory of God and for God's glory alone. Amen? Let's pray. God, you never promised that our life here on earth would be full only of joy and happiness and glee. In fact, quite often you say that we need to carry our cross. with great frequency lord that means that we need to put our own desires at bay for the furthering the mission of you as Jesus Christ so i pray lord that whatever situation it is that folks are facing today i pray that you would give them the courage to be honest to be direct To Remember, Lord, that we are united. That your word might continue to be spread. That the number of disciples might continue to increase. That we might see more and more of those, Lord, who once followed the ways of the world to follow Jesus the Christ who died and was raised again. It's in your name we pray.